are live with uh, our 223rd episode of Absolute AppSec. I'm wondering now that I put that in if that is correct or if it's two, yep, 223 is what we're at. Um, I'm your host, Seth Law, at Seth Law on X or Mastodon or take your pick, right? Uh, GitHub, that's what I'm going to stick with, at Seth Law on GitHub. Um, since that's code related, joined by a very special co-host today, uh, Logical, uh, otherwise known as, well, wh whatever you want to go by today, Stefan, you, you, you can choose, right? Logi, Stefan, Logi, yeah. My wife Whatever it is. Stefan Stephen. Stephen. <laughs> she doesn't like that? Is that what you're no, saying? No, it's like, your name is Stefan. <laughs> <laughs> Stefan. Yes, that's, that is traditionally what we, you know. Yeah. I, I'm going to stick with Logi. That, that, that works yeah, best Logi. in my brain. Logi works right? well. <laughs> Logi works well. Um, yeah. Uh, so Ken is out today, as you can obviously see, is uh, by way of announcements. Um I don't, we don't have a ton that's, that's coming up right now. All things considered. Uh, I know like we're kind of into Q4, right? So yeah, that's basically where I'm at is trying to get, you know, all the client work done and get everything wrapped up for the end of the year. Um, I know everyone was just at AppSec, Global AppSec DC or whatever they call those conferences nowadays. Um, I haven't heard a ton come out of that um, as far as like differences, but I do, I do know that there were just elections for OWASP. So we'll see if things start to change over there. Um, I mean, I know we've got a couple of articles, Logi, that we wanted to talk about specifically about um, sp specifically around privacy stuff. I know we've kind of beaten the AI uh, dead horse a fair bit um, over the last little hype cycle, but um yeah, I, I I don't know what what were your thoughts, right? Like, I, and maybe like given that OWASP just had that conference, um, I'd be interested to hear what your thoughts are on this kind of split that we're seeing between SSF and OWASP. So the yeah the Software Foundation um, or the Open Secure Software there's, Foundation, whatever. There's it actually is. two, right? They they come out of Linux Foundation back. Yeah. So there's the. Uh, there's SSP, which is the software, uh, secure software project. And then there's the uh, Open uh, soft, Software Security Foundation. Mm -hmm. uh, so basically, SSP is like the program home for where a bunch of a bunch of stuff lives. And then SSF is a sort of collaborative effort mm -hmm. towards something OWASP-E. It's a little lossy compared to that, but it's it's basically that. Okay. So, like, I, I mean, the biggest thing that I've got there is with, uh, you know, I think Zap, right, is, um, I guess that's it, right? It's going to the Software Security Project um, as opposed to OWASP, yep. um, which, which which does feel a little bit like a slap in the face to OWASP, at least watching it happen from the outside, because that's been one of those flagship projects that they've jumped on for years, right? Um, it's been associated with OWASP. Uh, I don't, you know, I mean, it, initially it wasn't, but for, I mean, how many years? It's got to be at least a decade at this point, if not longer. Yeah. Uh, you know, the uh, the aside of, of the, the folks who run Zap and whatnot, um, 
I think a lot of a lot of issues with that OWASP has been having has been around direction. And we, we talked about this in Slack, right? A lot mm -hmm. of OWASP doesn't know what it wants to be. And it's it's sort of a heady mix of like, is this a professional conference that and a professional organization that sort of sets standards uh, across the board? Or is this like a neat hacker meetup where people get together and they talk about web AppSec and they, they talk about other things uh, there and they, they do cool small projects together? For example, up until probably two or three years ago, and I'm sure you can still find references, there's a lot of things in OWASP that still referenced ISAPI. Mm -hmm. yep. The ISAPI project has been dead for, for years. The, for folks who haven't seen it, it's the Enterprise Security API. Um, it, it's, it's pretty dead, uh, I think, is the, the easiest way of saying it. And, you know, OWASP has had a tendency to fund projects that were maybe not aligned with the vision, right? And then allow allow projects like Zap and the top tens, various top tens, uh, Flounder. And I, I think even more generally too, the, the top 10 has persistently been at the state where like the, the web top 10 by Brian Glass, who's been on the podcast a few times, has, has yeah. this like sort of good, it's a well-known quanta, it's backed by data, et cetera. And then you have this like mis- like mismash of weird other top tens that are like of dubious quality. They may have different implementations behind them. They may have different people behind them. And it's very difficult for folks to look at the top 10 and decide this is like, these are all collectively useful for me. Like the LLM top 10 is for LLM implementers. Yeah. Now, if you're, if you're looking to implement LLM, obviously it's great, but, the vast majority of people who look at an OWASP top 10 LLM are almost certainly going to be consuming LLM services. And so it it's sort of a missed opportunity to help a larger community in, in one that's like more focused, more, more niche there, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I don't know. Like, and I always go back to like the OWASP top 10 was the, the initial project that really launched OWASP as far as, right. Like, Hey, it made it a, you know, a very public thing. Um, there were quite a few people that jumped on board. Um, at least there were some attempts in the early days to actually query people and, you know, build a top 10 based on some data using like using polling and other things. And uh, that's where a lot of these other ones that pop up, right. Whether it be API or IOT. And I'm not like, I haven't looked into any of these, right. From a data analytics perspective, but my feel is a lot of times that they're just like, Hey, here's the top 10 things you should worry about. Right. Like I wrote an article and now it's an OWASP top 10 project, as opposed to, Hey, I went out to a bunch of people that actually are building APIs or building IOT devices. And we sat down and had at least came to some consensus. And so they're very driven by a specific person, a specific organization. Um, and I, and I mean, that's part of the problem we got into with the OS top 10 as it was, is that it became less of an industry thing. And it, it felt, even if it wasn't, it felt like it was being dictated to by specific organizations that had a vested interest in what those top 10 items were. Um, and so you've got, you've got to kind of take it with a grain of salt, depending on which project that you're looking at. So I, yeah, I, I go back and forth. Cause I do, 
I do value what OWASP being, brings to the table and what they've done over the last 20 years has been pretty amazing, but it's a, it's a loose conglomeration of these regional organizations and groups that actually come together and do some things. And so it, I mean, it, it's just a hard, it's, I'm sure it's wrangling cats, right. From a, mm -hmm. from an executive management perspective and the change in that executive management and in the board um, causes all sorts of transition problems and focus problems, depending on who's actually there. I mean, any large organization is going to have that sort of issue, but I don't, I, I don't know whether or not open SSF or, you know, software security project is really going to do that much of a better job with those, those same sorts of problems. Well, right? I think, I think a big difference and a key difference between SSF and OWASP is that there's a larger number of people who are paid to work on it and mm -hmm. they're not paid by the foundation itself. So at, um, you know, similar to like how CNCF works and how other Linux foundation foundations work. And for those who don't know, the Linux foundation started with just Linux and they, they have a few top level projects, but now there's sort of like an incubator for foundations. So. Mm -hmm. Okay. CNCF came out of Linux Foundation, and there's a whole bunch of a whole bunch of other weird little foundations, and they do all sorts of all sorts of things. Some of them are great, uh, some of them are very well staffed, some of them are sort of like OWASP, right? Like they're they're just sort of like a fleeting idea, like the Critical Infrastructure uh, Pro Project Foundation. Uh, it has some very neat ideas, but maybe not as much uh, attention ap applied to it, right? Um, but when you when you look at open ssf there's at least folks who are like dedicated to to working on it they're paid they maybe have some percentage of their time as part of it um i think the the drawback to that is it's an expensive organization to join so uh -huh. if you like if redpoint wanted to hop in and do some stuff with OWASP, the barrier to entry would be who could you convince to do a bunch of work at OWASP and, and then get it listed as a project. And it's, it's pretty easy. Whereas with these little foundations that come out of LF, like if you look at the, the like member tiers, it's, it's expensive. It's not cheap to get in involved and it's not easy to get involved with a project and, or to ship a new project. And at the end of the day, it, it's more like a consortium than a foundation. Yeah. You know, it's which is fine, but it's a, a very different type of organization. Yeah. Well, and I, I mean, part of me understands because if you do, if you are going to put the backing into one of those projects, you don't necessarily want it to stagnate. Um, and OWASP, I, I mean, OWASP has suffered from that, right? We've seen how many of the different projects that are like, you know, they got started, somebody was interested, and then whatever it is, they moved on. I mean, like most open source software in general, right? Like, yep. you know, it, it, there's only a handful or there's a few from a percentage perspective projects that actually are successful and actively developed. Um, whereas most things get thrown up on GitHub or whatever. And then, you know, uh, yeah, there might be six months of activity. And then after that, it drops off. Um, so OWASP has, has struggled there. So, so part of me understands creating that barrier to entry because it means, okay, we're able to actually support this ongoing, right? Like we're looking for people that are actually invested in continuing this support over the long term. Um, 
in order to actually spin up some of those projects. But you know. yeah, it, it'll it'll certainly be interesting. I, um, you know, Simon was at Mozilla for a long time uh, doing Zap support, and I think I think folks didn't realize that uh, the way that Zap was supported was basically Simon was at OWASP. I mean, was that uh, Mozilla? Mozilla was sort of using it internally. That's where like some of the headless features came from and whatnot. Yeah, and it it certainly worked, but um, you know, I think it's much more transparent and much easier if Simon is just at some foundation that pays him money to work on it. Yeah, um, but it it is a shame, you know. OWASP OWASP has had a lot of mismanagement. They've had a lot of missteps. Um, and I, I think it's getting harder and harder to show that the organization has value. And, and I say that as someone who, you know, um, who's worked with, with Andrew Vanderstock and, and worked with, with a bunch of folks at OWASP, including Brian, uh, Brian Glass, quite a bit. So it's, it, I'm not saying this to sort of, um, you know, besmirch the organization. It's just there has been a lot there and, and I hope it can recover, but it's, it's definitely not an easy road forward. Yeah. Yep. I mean, I'm, I'm hoping that there's going to be some of those changes and kind of a refocus of what they do, because it did feel like with um, Brian and team taking over OS top 10, um, you know, making it a lot more public and the, the whole process by which they were going through deciding what that was, it definitely, it definitely gave more trust to the organization. Um, uh, but it also, it, it's like that focus problem that we run into um, that I'm, I'm hoping that they can solidify some of that down and right. Like, yeah, it, it's great that they have the global offset conferences and they've got the, you know, the different projects that they support, but it, everything under the sun doesn't need to be an OWASP pro project. Right. Um, well, well, it's, it's funny too. I think even, even deeper than that though, like, one of the one of the OWASP projects that I, I opened a bunch of issues for was the um, I forget what they called it. It was like the the secure Go. It had some mm -hmm. like OWASPy name, but it basically was like a secure Go standard. And looking through, uh, and this was right around the time that I had done the work for the CNCF, like auditing Kubernetes and whatnot. So you know, I was auditing Go code all the time. I saw common patterns of of what folks would mess up, including at orgs like Google, and I looked at the secure go book and it was like, it was a lot of the recommendations for better things were things that we would flag as findings. So for example, parsing integers referenced using a to I, but a to I has all sorts of edge cases in go that you shouldn't use it for. And in fact, a number of findings from the Kubernetes report stemmed from a to I, um, and you know there, it was all the way down through to things like MD5 being listed as a as a cryptographic hash function. Now, mm -hmm. it's a hashing function. You can use it for under certain circumstances, but it's not cryptographically secure. And so, yeah. a lot of the recommendations were just like things that, if you maybe had some direction and you had some standards about, wouldn't have landed in a book that was supposed to be how do you fix Go code? You know? <laughs> yeah. But it, it was someone's basic passion project and they put together, you know, several hundred pages of this documentation and maybe with some guidance, they would have gotten a little bit further along without some of the issues that are there. And I'm, again, I'm not trying to besperse the book. They've, they've done some great work on it, but 
it maybe would have been avoided if there was a top level, like goes this new upcoming thing. We should have some guidance around go take our algorithmic advice and our integer advice and, you know, IVOE advice and turn it into a go book. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it, it, yeah, it kind of goes back to that feeling that I get with a lot of those OWASP projects is that it feels like a blog post that maybe has a little bit more effort and time that's been put into it. Um, but doesn't necessarily have the support or, you know, they haven't like, they haven't pulled in the experts. They haven't tried to do like a full, you know, um, formal review process or anything like that before they actually post it. Right. Um, yeah. And that's, that's not to say there's not value there that comes from that, especially as other people are looking into it. But um, then it also becomes, okay, it might be a step better than stack overflow question answer, but you're getting the same sort of detail back out of it. Yeah, and it's interesting to compare to other organizations that, like you and I were talking about CVSS4 earlier, mm -hmm. and it's interesting to compare with other organizations who are like trying to reinvent themselves or trying to work on foundational foundational tools that they, they release. Um, you know, first has CVSS that they've released. They've recently released, well, not recently, but they released a TLP traffic light protocol version two. Like they're, they're working on, similar things to what OWASP is working on and they are able to deliver on what they expect versus OWASP, which is sort of floundering in direction and, and sort of hurting across the mm -hmm. board there, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I, yeah, I mean, it's hard to separate out OWASP from like the different kind of components that you deal with on a daily basis. Like so as app in, in AppSec, right? Like when we're talking about OWASP, like there's the regional groups, right? Like I'm involved locally with the Salt Lake City chapter, right? Like we do monthly meetups, we talk about stuff. Um, it's not as formal as some of the others, like the DC or the Nova group or some of the others that I've dealt with in the Bay Area where they have like a huge structured, right? Like this is the, these are the, you know, the chapter leads and they have secretaries and all this other stuff that goes into it. So depending on where you actually run into OWASP, it may be that, it may be the project specifically. Um, and, you know, separating out, okay, what is, the, what is the, what is the direction for this organization, right? Like, is it a community like organization with memberships that, you know, is mostly focused on awareness? Is it a huge, like, is it focused on these projects and the top 10? I, like, I, I don't, I don't envy the the guys on the board, right. Or the, right. the board members um, trying to wrangle all of these different, you know, disparate activities into a coherent, like, Hey, this is what OWASP is and what we want it to be, what we want it to be represented as. Um I mean, because I mean, that's the other question, right? Like, are you an actual OWASP member, right? Like, do you, do you know that off the top of your head? <laughs> so I actually do know that for a fact that despite all the contributions I have given to OWASP, the number of times I've spoken at OWASP conferences, uh, the, the work that I've put into OWASP, I am actively not a member of OWASP itself. Uh -huh. And it's it's uh you know a personal choice right i i did not join oas because i long ago uh 
you know, felt like we we sort of needed to make some of these changes. And I hadn't joined OWASP. And I've never been convinced that joining OWASP would actually do the things that I would like it to do. Mm -hmm. you know? And, you know, it's, it's easy to throw stones from the outside, right? <laughs> but um, yeah. I, I do think seeing some of the things that I've seen in Slack and some of the, the commentary back and forth, for a while, OWASP had a transparency issue. Um, I think Andrew Vanderstock has done a ton uh, to to fix a lot of that transparency feeling. But now it's sort of like open Pandora's box of like, there's a lot of issues in this organization. And transparency also means that people will actively look at yeah, the issues yep. and comment upon them <laughs> and take umbrage with them. And so it's it's been sort of validating as to why I didn't join OWASP in some way previously. <laughs> um, even though you you would think that someone who spent time helping with so many of these projects has, you know, would have like forked over the money to just be a member of the org. Yeah. Yeah. You know? then, well, I, I, yeah. I, I mean, it's fine, right? Like, cause it, that's kind of like the feel that I get from a lot of people in the industry. And it'd be interesting to do a poll even on like the absolute apps like Slack to see how many people are actually members of OWASP. Because I know there's a lot of us that go to different meetups. I even know that the local like OWASP chapter here, um, we probably have, I mean, of the people that are on the membership roles, I only think a small portion actually come to the meetups. Yep. Um, and then on a, you know, on a monthly basis, the people that are in there, they're actually members are probably mostly the chapter leaders, right? Mm -hmm. Like there, there's a lot of people that show up and they support the local group, but they don't necessarily necessarily sign up for the national organization, which is another like, okay, that, that, that gets you into kind of a strange again, from an executive like board perspective, I'm like, how do you add value to those chapters, to those, you know, those people that would be paying membership dues? What is it that gets there? I, I, I would venture to argue that more people probably pay their CISP dues than the do than pay OWASP dues. Right. Yep. Yep. Um, even though CISP in general, the only thing that they're providing is that certification letter that you're a, you know, you're a member of ISC squared um, and you pass your CISP however many years ago, but you just want to make sure and maintain that. So for your next job or whatever it is. Um, yeah, literally. But then and, it, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Well, and, and the worst part about it is, uh, you know, very often CISP is bemoaned for, uh, for what it is. And I, I do think at times CISP is, is misapplied. I think people think that CISP provides you with like the, you know, like you're now, you're, you're now a security practitioner when in reality, CISP is basically a, a good baseline of definitions so that you, you have some common concepts shared across the board, right? CISP is great for that. And I've always appreciated when I see a CISP with uh, like, who's not in security, right? Cause I know I don't have to explain, for example, PKI cause they, they yeah. pass this thing, but I would never say that they therefore are a security practitioner. Uh, whereas OWASP, I would I would be very wary of OWASP offering any sort of accreditation or any sort of like standard. And it's it's always scary to me when you see that like PCI requires an OWASP top ten or a client uses OWASP top ten for for 
um, things, even though it's a better standard now than it used to be, you know, mm -hmm. it's yeah. a weird space, right? Yeah, it is. And, and like, I mean, there's a, yeah, honestly, there's some good things that have come out of it. I, like, I don't know. I, I, I go back and forth, right? Like as far as like what that national org should do, especially when you see some of the drama that's been involved with it, like over the years, um, how do you actually take that and leave the baggage and move it into something that is actively improving the community, actively improving, you know, everything else that goes along with it, because there are pieces that do, right? Like I find like the OWASP top 10, for example, to be incredibly useful for training developers to giving them an idea of what, what they should be looking for. It's a good approach. And, um, but it's also not necessarily a checklist. You've got the ASVS. That's also great for testing, right? There's so many like of these little pieces that have come out, OWASP, SAM, right? That help you, that help you as a pr practitioner, right? Um, but the, the level of just lack of focus, I guess, or, I, I, I don't know what else, what else to say on that, right? Like outside of there are good things, but there are, you have to kind of take it along with the bad. Um, let's see. Yeah. yeah. It, it, it's a shame to, and, and also for uh, SSP, uh, SSP and SSF, SSP more so has definitely consumed some early, uh, early OWASP heavy hitters. Like Mark is over there, Mark Cuffrey. Uh, yeah. You know, Simon, Simon Bennett's from yeah, Zap right. is over there now. So I think as much as, uh, you know, SSF, OpenSSF and SSP are, are uh, you know, like interesting projects, I also think some of the rivalry that we've seen in Slack and some of the commentary that we've seen have been because some of those like OG OWASP members have left to go to SSF and SSP, which is not yeah. helping things, you know. Yep. Yep. Um, yeah. Sorry. I got distracted in Slack. I was like, I asked, okay, how many people are OWASP members here? And of course, Brian, like InfoSec dad raises his hand first up. I'm like, right. okay, of course I know Brian is right. Like, you know, um, and yes. I, like there was a comment on YouTube as well. Right. Like or in chat, right. Like um, basically somebody said, or map K X sync, X, Y, N, Z, whoever it is. Right? That's Mark. Oh, it is. <laughs> it is. Toops. Sweet. That, that's Mark said, yeah yeah mark's awesome uh i saw him at uh saint con recently so yep. anyway um he said i need oas to exist as an objective source of security advice i can reference and reports and conversations basically the cheat sheet series is irreplaceable and, and i would agree with that right like there are pieces of oas like i was saying that are so incredibly useful as an appsec or a prodsec practitioner um but the like to your point Logi that about the go like cheat sheet or whatever it is go book that was put together the the level of expertise or the level of professionalism in those is not super consistent right so you got to take it with a grain of salt well, um and and the cheat sheet itself while good uh, the cheat sheets are fantastic. Like, like Mark said, they're irreplaceable. They're, they're very, very good, but the cheat sheet itself very often have not kept up with, with what modern XSS looks like to, to pick on one example, right? Um, yeah. We're seeing fewer and fewer, like 
UTF seven or ISO eighty eight fifty nine one style, uh, like you know, like misjudges of characterization of characters, and we're seeing more like you know gadgetry in in XSS bypasses, and yeah, there's no real coverage in the in the testing guides and the cheat sheets. There's some, but there's not as much there as there is for here's an exhaustive list of all the weird UTF eight uh canonicalization bugs that you can have yeah um, yeah so well uh, yeah part of that is a maturity issue absolutely. right like because it, it like again yeah the focus of who whoever put together that specific cheat sheet um was probably really good at the utf8 canonization they had used that um and you know some of that isn't making it back in there like the the gadgetry that you're speaking to what's coming out of the bug bounty reports doesn't always make it back into those cheat sheets um, and you know, it feels like there is a division of like application security, product security, like talking to Jason Haddix about the bug bounty community at large uses OWASP, but not really in the same way, right? The, the, where, where they're publishing research, where they're putting together their lists. Um, you know, you see a lot of projects dedicated to finding very specific, specific bugs. Um, and the, the aggregation of that data is not necessarily happening in the same way from yep. that community as it has from the consulting community, which seemed to focus on OWASPs for a number of years. So, so we've got a gap that's starting to happen there. Um, and I, I mean, you know, again, it's maturity, the, the community or the, you know, the world at large has changed and has moved past some of that. Um, and like, Honestly, like this is, is a huge pet peeve of mine as it is from a, uh, I read a lot of reports perspective, my own plus like other, uh, you know, past reports that have been released in the last couple of years. And a lot of the recommendations, a lot of the descriptions of findings in general, to your point, they actually miss the, they, yeah, they, they, they go off the rails and they don't necessarily address what's really going on under the hood, right? Recommendations harken back to the cheat sheet series. That's great. But they also start talking about like output encoding or right. Like input validation, which it, I mean, it is all specific is all still valid, but don't necessarily dig down into the level of the gadgetry of what's actually going on underneath the hood. You know, it's an SVG. It's something else that you've actually got to process. It's not just, you know, this simple input validation of greater than and less than signs, right? If we're, if we're talking about the cross-site scripting example, yeah. Don't, don't sputter on your input there, uh, you know, but yeah. But yeah. For <laughs> yes, those who don't know, Seth, Seth has a project sputter. Uh, that, 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 that is, that is also a dead open source project, right? No, well, it's not completely dead. I still use it for stuff, but. Right. Well, you know what? That would be a very funny talk to give one time. What's the oldest project that you've still like had confirmed kills from an application? Mine yeah. is one. It's the first tool that got me out of like um, out of like underground, uh, like, you know, script kitty sorts of like IRC style hacking and into actually like being a security professional. It was this tool called Lotophagy uh, yeah. and it it was for Lotus Notes. And the scariest thing is I wrote that in 20, the 2007, excuse me, 2006, somewhere right around there. And, um, you know, I used it in consulting when we ran up against Lotus Domino. And then a few years ago, I ran into a Lotus Domino uh, server on an engagement 
And I was like, there's no way this thing still works. And I had to figure out how to install Perl, first of all, like a version of Perl that worked well with Lotophagy. So that's the age that we're talking about here. Yeah. And uh, I I had critical findings. It was it was dumb. I should not have had anything out of that. And yet it was like it was still working over 10 years later. Um, and I just listened to Command Line Heroes. It's a podcast as well. And they were talking about Satan. Do you remember Satan? Oh, yeah, of course I remember Satan. Right. And it's like <laughs> they had the guy who wrote Satan on there. And he was talking about how every once in a while he'll fire up Satan and still score. Still find some stuff. Well, yeah. You know, but it it is funny. We have these tools and we sort of carry them around, uh, but they still do stuff. It's just, I also think in some ways we've sort of moved past the like, I need OWASP to give me the cheat sheet stuff. And it's more of like, I'm going to look at sec lists. I'm going to look at maybe some targeted things. I'm going to look for like XSS gadgetry. I'm going to try to annoy Neil, who I saw was, was posting in chat. Uh, yeah. I'm going to see if there's any like, you know, CSP issues that I can, I can use or any gadgets that I can string together and less of the like, oh, you assume that I was sending you, you know, US ASCII, but I sent you uh, UTF-7 and haha, now I have XSS. You know, um, I think that time from OWASP has sort of shifted and we're now more of a like, we need an organization that's actively setting direction. And I, I don't think that's been there as much. I, I do have a lot of faith in Andrew um, mm -hmm. yeah. to, to set it. But yeah, it'll be interesting to see where OWASP goes in the future. Yeah. Well, and I, I mean, it's also like Andrew plus the board, right? Like, yeah, yep. Andrew is, is leading things up, but he also has he has to have the support of those other people and support of memories or members. Sorry. Um, yeah. Okay. Brian is jumping into chat now too. Um, can't OWASP can't seem to decide what they want to be. I, and this is, yes, Brian, I'm, I'm, I'm with you on this and, you know, we should probably have you on if we're having an OWASP discussion, which apparently that's what we're doing today. Logi. Um, yeah. Small parts have been fun have fundamental, Ah, fundamental impacts on the industry, top 10, SAM, cheat sheets, ASVS, ModSec, and a few others, but most of it doesn't. Yep. There, there's a, the flagship plus a few others that are really good. Um, yeah. That, yeah. I, well, I just don't know what else to yeah, really go into there. Right. Like I, I want to see it succeed, but it's going to take some direction shifts. I, I, I'd almost prefer, uh, and I, a style of like what Brian has been bringing to the OWASP top 10, right. Or what MITRE brings to the CWE top 25, right. Yeah. Of like, okay, let's take all the C, you know, CVEs that we have of the, for the year. And then let's look at all the CWEs that are referenced. And I know CWEs are lossy and there's problems and yada, yada, but at least they're saying, this is what we've seen over the last mm -hmm. year. And maybe you should look for these sorts of, it's not to say that the rest of CWEs and the rest of CVSS and the rest of CWSS and C CVEs are, are useless, but these top 25 things or these top 10 things are useful. And I wish OWASP would bring that sort of guidance to it. Like, for example, it would be useful to have a whole privacy section in OWASP. Yeah. NIST has added it to 853 with Rev5. And I'd like to see privacy added. And I, I think CVSS even started categorizing some of those sorts of things uh, in, in 4.0. And it's sort of time for OWASP to sort of look around, take a data-driven approach and say, this is where we're going. 
um, you know, we're blessing it from the top end here. Yeah. Yeah. And I do agree with you, Brian, like there's, there's enough structure for that to happen, but I think the org has never actually had a top-down approach as much as people used to bemoan the fact that, you know, Dave Wickers and Jeff Williams mm -hmm. and Mark and, and others had too much influence on OWASP. I think we've also sort of gotten to a point where we need those sorts of folks to, and not to say Jeff Williams should come, uh, could, should come talk. Come about save us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but we do need, we do need folks like Brian and, and others to sort of step up and we, we sort of need a diversity of voices as, as well. And now, you know, we need folks who are consultants who, you know, who work in, in product orgs, whatever, to say it. Because previously it was like OWASP was, you know, Aspect and Sonatype who came from <laughs> Aspect um, and a few other people. And now we sort of need to get away from that. I mean, even, even if you look at the board now, there's at least one person who worked at Aspect Security on the current board. Yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I, yeah. I mean, you're probably not going to get away from that. Um the diversity is going to be uh, an issue. Um, him say, uh, like Brian saying, a large part is that OWASP is not being supported by an industry that is benefiting. Yep. Um, yeah. I, I mean, that that's where the foundation stuff on the, you know, the Linux foundation side of things, like building that sort of industry support before starting the foundation or charging for it or whatever it is. Um but changing the model every couple of years is also detrimental, right? To building the organization, you know, you got to choose what you're going to be and then be that as opposed to trying to switch focus so often. Yeah. And I think, I think part of it is OWASP tried to get itself out there. And previously it used to be supported by a consultancy was getting paid when someone came and looked for the folks who wrote it and saw that, you know, they could just get aspect. Whereas now it's, it's much more diffuse. And I think mm -hmm. people, people, we, we sort of do need to switch around and say, if you want to have OWASP top 10 in, in the PCI standard, PCI should probably be coordinating with us. There should be some maybe money changed or you should be supporting part of it or something yeah. in between rather than just like, hey, guy with Excel and too much data, go figure out how the OWASP top 10 should be put together. Yeah, yep, yep. That, I, I mean, that would make sense, right? Like, yeah, you want to include OWASP top 10 in your compliance standard? Great. That means that you are supporting us financially in some way, right? Like whatever that looks like, in-kind, development effort, like however that is. Um, data back in, right? Like I know Brian's always asking for more data. Um, but yeah, I, I, mean, that would make sense to me. Uh, but we'll, we'll see where they go. Right. Obviously like I, you know, I'm small fish in that, in that world, as far as like, yeah, we, you know, we talk about it, but realistically I'm, I'm usually only involved at meetups and like in very specific aspects as opposed to Brian, some of the other people that we've had on that I know are more like running some of these flag flagship projects. Yeah, and, and also I think over time it would be nice, and I, I, I know this likely won't happen, but it would be nice if we didn't duplicate the effort and sort of like a Linux Foundation takeover of OWASP and sort of a combination of projects there. That would that would help a ton. But mm -hmm. we, we definitely, like the current situation is untenable 
And the open letter uh, to OWASP sort of went over a lot of these sorts of points too. But I, I think the the concern I have is because of like what Mark said, what Brian is saying, what others say um, of how foundational OWASP is and how much reference literature there is. I think it would be a shame if it sort of just became a, a shadow of itself and just, you know, sort of yeah. petered out after a while with like some GitHub commits. Yeah. Yeah. Cause there is a lot of good stuff that's, that is going on and needs to continue to go on. Right. Like, OWASP top 10 goes away or Sam or something like, like that. It has a detrimental effect to the industry at large because we have to find something else. Can we turn to, you know, the Sans, you know, top 25, like it, it's, it's a, it's got a kind of a different bent to it. Um, yeah. So I, I don't know, man. I, I like, it's, it's an interesting thing to watch from like being a small fish or kind of from the outside of what's going on inside the organization and then trying to figure out where I need to place that internally. And as someone that's running a consultancy, that's running an application security business, how we actually use it, how we actually support it. So it's there in the future becomes my question, right? Um, because we do, I like, we do get asked to do OWASP SAM assessments. We do use ASVS. We modify it, but like it's the basis for a lot of the work that, you know, was done on a daily basis across the industry. Uh, having it disappear is going, would be, uh, would be monumental. It would be a, a huge detriment to the industry. Yeah. Did you, did you want to switch to privacy or privacy now? Yeah, yeah. Let, let's switch over to privacy since that's what we initially were going to talk about, and I was teasing out. Um, well, yeah, and and also I just I I'm actually inter like I read. Um, so this is how they tell me the world ends by Nicole Perlroth. I was I was fairly disappointed, honestly, um, for a number of reasons. We don't we don't have to get into it. I think um, it, I think that that book was was disappointing in a number of ways. Um, but Kashmir Hill, uh, who's also a New York Times correspondent, wrote, um, uh, your face belongs to us. Um, <laughs> she uh, is also a New York Times correspondent, and she broke the news on uh, Clearview AI, um, which was great. I, uh, I'm a good portion of the way through the book, a little over halfway, yeah. uh, more, than, more than halfway of actual text but uh, about halfway without all the references and stuff. And I've marked it up quite a bit in here yeah. um, as I, as I usually do, but uh -huh. I absolutely fantastic book, incredibly depressing, incredibly depressing. Like, okay. So, so why is that? Like what, what like, so what, first of all, give us a, a, an overview. Like it's about Clearview AI, right? Yep. Like, give us an overview of what the book actually is addressing there. So the, the book, uh, the book goes into detail about the, not, not necessarily the how, but the why of Clearview okay. and, and some of the characters behind it. So the who and the why is, is sort of covered much more. And there's, there's some discussion of like how they did some of these things, but, um, that's not really the interesting parts of the book. I think most people, if you want to look up like how, how facial recognition works and you can look up, you know, Bayesian image processing and hard transforms and, you know, open CV and open face and all these sorts of libraries. You, those, those are all there and for the taking. What I thought was interesting was the, the sort of the, the characters behind it and 
how odious some of those characters are. So <laughs> okay, uh, there's uh, there's some folks who are uh, aligned with a specific previous former president, uh, <laughs> and there are some folks who uh, you know it, it it sort of came out of that community, and that's how they met. That's how they they started operating. But I think even more interesting to me was the fact that they uh, they basically scraped together this like monstrous pipeline of three to six billion images of people's mm-hmm. faces from Facebook, from broken APIs, from from Venmo. Venmo was a huge data source for them initially because it tied you to a purchase, to a location, to an avatar if you you posted your your photo, and so. Uh, they had all of this information and they basically just scraped and they, they definitely play, paid some shady characters to sort of scrape data and tell, tell them where they got it from. So mm-hmm. it's, it's very interesting to see. And the depressing part about it is not only was all of this possible, but there's very little that could be done unless you go ahead and remove your face from every single thing that you can. Mm-hmm. Uh, like you never appear on a podcast. Uh, yeah, don't don't, don't do this. Yeah, <laughs> right, right. Yeah, uh, and it it's uh, it's interesting because uh, you know the the author goes through all of what she discovered, the characters behind it, the the lack of the lack of regulation in the space, and and basically how they got away. It's more of a like almost a heist. It's like how they got away with it. But they okay. also talk about some of the biases that you see in AI and some of the biases that you see in training sets. For example, if you train on mug shots, you, you may get a specific segment of the population more frequently than others. So then your AI will be biased towards, you know, criminality in one class. Yep. Of folks. We've talked about that previously, but um, there actually is, a, she, she talks about an arrest that was made because the AI flagged a person as a, a, uh, like as a, a criminal and, uh, they had in no way, shape, or form been there. And all of that other evidence, like wasn't in the area, had never shopped there, never purchased anything, et cetera, didn't actually look like the person. Uh, but none of that was taken into account when he was hauled downtown. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, uh, oof. yeah, that's, it's, it's, it's been an issue for a while. This is always the, like, I don't know. Like, I think we've talked about this before, the ability to actually gather data in the, in the public sphere. Um, They've just actually taken it and run with, okay, what can we, what can we use this for that may or may not be a a moral uh, use of the data. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think, you know, do they get into that? Like trying to address like, Hey, it is like you're in the public sphere. There's no expectation of privacy when you do put this out publicly. Right. Um, so of course someone can take that data and train an AI on it. Um, but whether or not that's something that they should be allowed to do, is that like, are they getting to the legal aspects of that? Um, how does that actually you know, roll out in the book? Yeah. So they've actually, they, they go over like Illinois has a, um, like a, a biomatic, a bioinformatics, like privacy legislation. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they go over like, uh, Illinois, I believe it's Illinois law is actually the only one with teeth. So the only one that allows you, the user to sue for your biometrics being used without 
without your permission first. And um, all of the other all of the other laws that exist don't really give the the end user any teeth to sue. And it has actually led a number of organizations to um, to not release facial recognition software because uh, you know that like Illinois law allows them to to sue for uh, okay yeah for for impact. But I think that's the sad part about it too. There's a number of times where policymakers and uh, lawmakers on Capitol Hill and the political will was all behind it, and then something occurred like. For example, they, they talked about the snooper bowl. Uh, only old people will remember this, but um, in the in, there was a, a Super Bowl way back when where they started to roll out uh, like facial recognition software. They were going to track criminals who were at the the Super Bowl, and um, it it was wholly ineffective. It was like not not very good. Uh, it, it I don't think it recognized a single person in the crowd. Right? It was like yeah. it just invaded everyone's privacy. Um, but there was a, going to be a crackdown and then nine 11 happened and everyone wanted facial recognition software, even if we admitted that it wasn't good enough or up to snuff currently. And so yeah. she sort of talks about the tragedy that happened so frequently with these sorts of things, um, where, um, you know, like we could have, we could have had better, but we didn't because of, of something that occurred. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, Yeah. Oh, privacy. How do I want to say this? You know, uh, privacy in general um, is is it sometimes at odds to security and safety, right? Like, um, and that trade off that people are willing to give to be okay, I'll give up my data or I'll give up my bi- biometrics in order to actually get through. And and honestly, like I'm I'm guilty of this as well, right? Like going through the the, the airport and being able to get through security quicker. Right. Um, yeah. I'm more than willing, you know, like I, they scan my face. They, you know, they're looking, they're doing a, a comparison of what I am based to based on the other data that they have about me. Um, all that also, I don't have to spend an extra 15 minutes, half hour in line. Right. And that's the trade-off that people start to make. And when it becomes easier to give up biometrics to, to do that, of course, people are going to make that decision, um, even though they probably don't, and I probably don't recognize fully exactly everything that they're doing with that data behind the scenes, right? I'm sure it's going, I'm sure it's using Clearview AI somewhere behind the scenes to actually identify and match me up with every other picture that's out there online of Seth, right? Like it, it is happening. Um, and it's a little like disconcerting when I start to think about it. But at the same time, right, man, like it just get me through that damn security line, right? Like that's that that's the feel that I've got when I'm when you're traveling so much, right? Uh, uh, I've never given up my face for it. Um, obviously, they've scanned my face at the airport and whatnot, but um, there's no point because even when I've had pre-check, I've always gotten randomly selected for extra screening, and so <laughs> I've decided that I'm never going to like do one of those programs because there's no point. Even when I have pre-check, they've always pulled me aside and dump my bags i've had to take my pants off at the airport and stuff it's like you know um i got full body frisked in both spain and turkey like yeah so i you know i'll i'll take the uh, i'll take the privacy aspect (laughs) yeah but it's it's fascinating too because um 
you know, one of the things that she talked about was uh, that I thought was fascinating was Clearview knew that they were going to run afoul of like Apple's uh, Apple's, uh, you know, like App Store regulations. So what they did was they got an enterprise cert. And whenever you wanted to uh, to try it out, to demo it or to use it for your organization, they were literally sending enterprise signed uh, like, you know, mobile binaries around for people to install. Uh -huh. so like. You weren't. You don't even know if you were getting an official app. Like it could just be like one of the guys at Clearview is or was building this for iOS, and you would just like install this random binary on your machine. It's like it's very fascinating how they built an interesting technology basically out of open source and scraping, and then they <laughs> also had very few security controls that we would want. like. I don't want to know what their internal network looks like. Yeah, yeah. Well, if, I mean, if that's the case, if that's what they're actually doing, I, this also like feeds into the latest like AI hype cycle, though, right? Like, yep. hey, you know, all this data that we scraped, like they did it with images, but OpenAI has done this with uh, data that's out online with all the books, like copyrighted material, um, code, right? Like Copilot's another question, like what is it actually training that data on? We don't have a lot of transparency into that. And then also the security around that when they've scraped all that data, because those are just massive troves, troves of personal information that you know they're sitting around somewhere, even though they get excluded from the training model, they're probably for open AI specifically, like if we're talking chat GPT, um, they're probably using that in different models, right? Like, you know. I, you know that they're going to behind the scenes. It's just not publicly available. Well, I think what's the funniest thing about this book, though, is um, the author actually knows what open source like. Like, so when you, you know, obviously I worked at GitHub previously, so I, I know a little bit of like what went into Copilot, what tools are in there. But it, it's not necessarily fully in the public domain. But what's what's so funny about this book is she goes over the fact that it's basically OpenFace and Dlib and a few other basic libraries that anyone anyone can can get. And the thing that set them apart was their corpus management, which yeah. is when you talk about AI, what a lot of a lot of people don't want to admit is a lot of it is corpus management. A lot of it is like tagging data. That's why there was the the whole controversy around. Uh, open AI paying people in sub-Saharan Africa $2 an hour to tag things. It's because you actually need this. No AI is actually like smart enough to do it on its own. And uh, it was fascinating that, you know, she's like, yep, this is, they use Dlib and OpenFace and a few other things. And basically their secret sauce is that they stole a bunch of data from, from scraping the web for stuff. And then they just they had a better method of scraping and, and curating that process than others do. Uh huh. Yeah. Previously legal, yeah. but they have a they have a better one than than other people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I, I, I mean, it, you know, over overall, from a, like a software development like life cycle perspective, like actually building out like machine learning learning algorithms, that's what it's all about, right? Like uh, when you start talking to investors, they're like, "Well, could somebody duplicate this?" And they're like, "Well." as long as they can get the same data, they would have the same results because the, you know, the way that we train these, these AIs is, is pretty, uh, it's, it's a, no, it's a known secret, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, um, and one of the, one of the things that uh, the author also talks about is that uh, 
Ton Ton Tat. Uh, he's he's one the main the main like programmer behind OpenAI. I mean behind uh, Clearview, and um, the author was talking about how uh, this guy he you know he's not an AI guy. He he you know knows how some of this works, and basically he had a PhD student that joined and did the like initial lift, and then he would just like email open source maintainers and email professors ask them a bunch of questions. And it's like, you know, that's the that's the sort of double-edged sword of open source is like you very often are, you don't know what you're supporting with releasing open source software. And uh, this, this guy was just basically going around and asking people questions. And if they responded, he would like use that information to build it. Like there wasn't a, there wasn't a like plan per se to sell a security service. They just thought it was like they could cobble together something neat yeah. Sweeping. And that was, yep. that was it. And it's yep. like, it's wild how far they got. Yeah, it, it is right. Like it, I mean, it also like, uh, we, we tend to utilize that same sort of information, right? Like when we're searching for bugs, we're looking for vulnerabilities, we're doing other things, being able to scrape email to understand how that actually happens, how you can sy siphon that information into your like AI, into your product, into your algorithms is the the basis of most of that most of the software most of those SaaS platforms that are out there so it's it you know it's not overly surprising um it's just the way that they've actually taken and act, and used that data um i do want to be aware like we've already gone for an hour right of course right you know um i know you've got a hard stop uh well, Audrey, you know do you have any like I don't know. Like, how, how do we put a bow on this today? OWASP, good things, right? Like, uh, AI, be scared. I don't know. Like, you know, how, how do you want to put a bow on what we talked about today? Well, I, I thought it was interesting. I'll, I'll, I'll end with this. What if officers started inappropriately searching for people who hadn't done anything criminal? Someone who said something nasty to them, a protester against police brutality, or even a pretty woman at a bar? And basically goes on to say that they had no answer for any of those things. Yeah. And they, they sort of built them on the fly later, sort of. Mm -hmm. So yeah. that's that's the bow I would put on on Clearview <laughs> is like, and a lot of these sort of AI projects is like, we have no idea what's backing this. And it's it's pretty horrifying, but great book. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, it's I mean, it's on my list, right? Like, so uh, yeah, I'm sure we'll talk more about it. Um, appreciate you jumping on today. Uh, just having a good discussion about OP OWASP and you know, all things OWASP. Um, appreciate Brian, Neil, everybody else jumping in as well. Have some comments. Um, I'm sure Ken will, Ken will be back next week. Uh, we've got, you know, guests that are coming up. There's quite a few that we're pretty excited about. Uh, Logi, I'm sure we'll have you back on at some point. We still need to do our, like, uh, midwinter nights con. I was going to say, uh, we need to do a con, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, it, you know, at some point that'll be in the works. Maybe we do it early yeah, and we'll figure that out. Like more to come there. We've been talking about it for a while. We um, we yeah. should just name one while Ken's not on the podcast. So that's that, there we go. Yeah, he, yeah. To it. We're going to do Midsummer's Night Con on June 9th. I don't even know what day of the week oh, that is. is. Yeah, twenty twenty four. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's that sounds good. That'll work, right? Yeah, it's going sure to it's be. Uh, you know, we're going to be camping somewhere. I don't know. Yeah, right. right. Like, yeah. <laughs> Ah, oh, goodness. It's good. Yeah. Good times. All right. Yeah, thank you so well, much, Steph. 
yeah, thanks. Thanks for joining. Thanks, everybody, for, for following. And um, join Slack if you haven't. We'll continue the discussion there. Otherwise, we'll see everyone next week. Ciao.